0: So if you could turn there, Psalm 27. I love the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms connect with real issues in our lives. They they touch on so many different experiences that we really go through. If anybody ever feels like the Bible is irrelevant, uh, man, turn to the Psalms and see how raw and honest the Psalms are. And uh, the Psalms are... Are speaking to real issues, and God is bringing his truth to bear in the Psalms on the issues in our lives in, in very real and tangible ways. And I hope that we see that this morning. This particular psalm in Psalm 27 was written by King David, and King David was someone who did not have an easy path in life. I mean, this guy, if anyone had experienced fear, it was King David. I mean, he had to face attacks on his life from wild animals, from uh, crazy people who were trying to kill him and pin him to the wall. He faced attacks from powerful armies. David faced all kinds of dangers. I mean, this guy knew what it was to be afraid and to be worried. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So the title of the message is Fear, Worry, and the Refuge of the Lord. Let's hear what the Lord says through David in Psalm 27. This is God's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would attend the preaching of your word even now. God, take the words that I say and drive them home to our hearts in a very personal way for each person that the truth of this psalm would connect with people's lives where they're at in a way that challenges and provokes and encourages and equips and helps. Lord, we need your Spirit's power for this to happen, and so I just invite that now, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to this subject, it's, it's common to hear people say things uh, to fearful, worried people like, Don't worry, everything will all work out. But we want to believe that's true, right? If you're the fearful person, the anxious person, you want to believe that it's true. That I don't need to worry and everything will all work out. But deep down we know that that's not always true. There are no guarantees in this life. I might not even be here tomorrow. As a Christian, my eternal home may be secure in heaven. That's a wonderful thing, but that doesn't mean that my present home... Won't get flattened by a tornado or broken into by an armed robber or repossessed by the bank. I mean, any of these things could happen. That's reality. What if I don't make enough money to pay bills? What if I never marry? What if I never have kids? What if, what if I have kids and my kids turn out to be terrible embarrassments? What if one of my kids dies? What if my spouse cheats on me? What if I'm hurt by someone else? What if my reputation is ruined by false accusation and scandal? What if I go in for a routine checkup and I find out I have one month to live? What if I get Alzheimer's and my family neglects me? What if I'm all alone in my old age and there's no one to take care of me? What if I die alone? See, the list could go on and on of what ifs and And for people that are struggling with that, it's just really empty words to try to tell them, hey, you don't have to worry about any of that, because the reality is, you do, right? Maybe you don't think of yourself as someone who really struggles with these things. You don't think fear or anxiety is an issue in your life. Well, let me help you understand how fear works. Let's say you have something in your house that um, is is broken, like a hole in the sheetrock that maybe you punched a hole in, or uh, maybe a a broken down door, or a window, or a chipped tile, or something. You say, okay, I need to fix that, and uh, I, I know I need to fix it, your wife's on you to get it fixed, and... You just don't really get around to it and uh, you're, you're hoping to find time and, and time just goes on and you're just not getting it done. What usually happens in that situation? I mean, usually you adjust and life adjusts and those that are really good procrastinators and don't want to do the work will will try to delay as long as they can because they know that eventually you're going to get used to it being that way. <laughs> and so what happens is that what is, what is broken down and out of place actually becomes normal. It becomes part of the scenery of your life. Well, fear can be the same way. It can be hard to detect. If it goes unaddressed and not unchallenged in your own heart, um, things may be happening on the inside that, that are not really uh, being confronted by the truth of Scripture. And we can get used to that, and that can become just normal. And the the controlling influence of that fear can just be present in, in a seemingly silent way. We can think we're doing fine, but we could be unaware of its impact on our life. And that's why we need the Bible. God's word is the authoritative word uh, on the fear problem. See, we can come and say, don't be afraid. But if I don't have absolute, total control over everything in the entire universe, what business do I have telling you don't be afraid? I can't say that. But God, if he is truly sovereign, can issue something like this and speak to us the way he does in Psalm 27 in a way that no human can, to where it's not just empty words, it's not just me coming to you and saying, hey, don't be afraid. No, this is God speaking As the sovereign ruler who rules and controls and reigns over every molecule in the entire universe, he comes into our life and says, I have something to say about your fear and your anxiety. It's something that everyone... Fear is something everyone experiences at some point or another. None of us are exempt. It can show up in all kinds of different ways. For some, it may be obvious. It may uh, be that they don't talk to people. They hardly leave their house. Maybe they're hoarders. Maybe they take... Um, have to take anti-anxiety medications, maybe they have daily panic attacks, all kinds of things. And this can be our image of someone who struggles with fear. But those aren't the only ways that fear shows up. Fear shows up anytime we realize that life is dangerous and I am vulnerable. I am not in control. Fear is what happens when we feel our safety or our future is threatened. It may have to do with losing something or someone we love. Fear can show up in our imagination. It can become like the producer and director of an action tragedy movie called My Life, in which you're taken on a wild ride through all that could, or in our minds probably will, happen. That's just terrible. Fear can show up in our phobias. Something outside of me and my control could actually harm me. Whether it be spiders or birds or small spaces or crowds or anything like that. Fear shows up in our dreams. I heard one person say one time, "In my dreams, I'm always running." You know what, what, What's going on in a person's heart that you know sometimes the, the fears can show up that way? Fear can even produce physical symptoms in heavier doses sweaty palms, a racing heart rate, breathing fast and heavy. Sometimes fear can show up in a costume and go by a different name. And I'm not referring to Halloween. I'm saying a costume like uh, fear can show up dressed up as stress or something like that. When I'm stressed out, it may be that I'm afraid something won't get done or that I'll lose something or that I won't be good enough. So I work harder and I worry more. And I just say, well, I'm under a lot of stress. See, there can be fear kind of. Um, stuffed in the the turkey of stress, you know what i 'm thinking about right now food <laughs> um, Fear can be behind a, a great deal of our laziness as well, not just our busyness. See, we throw ourselves into busyness thinking that if I don't do, 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 then something may be missing in my life. We're afraid of losing something, losing significance or prestige or money or popularity. Well, the the other end of that is laziness, and fear can show up in that as well. You may remember in Proverbs, Proverbs talks about the sluggard that says, there is a lion outside, I shall be slain in the streets. And this sluggard actually invents this, this reality and lives in the reality of their invention. So fear can play itself out that way. It can show up in our anger. I'm angry because something bad or some negative outcome could have happened. And so just the, the possibility of that has launched me into this tirade. Ed Welch says it this way. He says, fear and anger can be the same words spoken with a different attitude. See, if we have to be in control all the time, That may indicate that fear is lurking behind the scenes, convincing you to be your own God, to trust no one else. Because after all, that's the only way you can guarantee the outcomes that you sovereignly choose. Or such is the lie that fear tells us. Sometimes fears can come because of past experiences. But often we can have fears about things that we've never experienced before. That's how fear works. It preys on your imagination. It lives in the shadows. It's most often known and experienced, in all that is unknown. And it's good for us to detect that and be aware of that. Now, now, there are some legitimate fears. If you are afraid of dying in a car accident, and so you say, I don't want to die in a car accident, so I'm not going to text and drive that's a good choice. That's a legitimate fear. Um, I don't want to die in a car accident, and so I need that to inform me not texting and driving, quite honestly, more often than it does. Um, What about a soldier on the front lines in battle? He's afraid for his life, you know. I don't think this psalm is coming and saying, come on, don't be afraid. You don't have anything to be afraid. No, legitimate fear. There's, there's some legitimate fears. Or maybe it's uh, the, the potential, not the potential harm of what could happen that's kind of gripping our life, but it could be the actual harm of a past experience. Maybe you were hurt or overpowered by someone and that experience was so terrifying that it's created this paralyzing fear that can show up in all kinds of ways, maybe several of the ways we've already listed. So you work hard to put up walls around your life and around those you love and care about because you don't want to be hurt again and they, you don't want them to be hurt again. Some responses to fear are legitimate and very understandable. Fear is not always wrong or sinful. It's not always bad. Whatever the cause, whatever the degree of fear you experience, though, God has something to say about it. In fact, the most frequently occurring command in all of Scripture is not love the Lord, it's not obey God, it's do not be afraid. It occurs over 300 times in Scripture. Fear may never totally go away, It certainly won't by the end of this sermon. I'm not expecting you to walk out the door and say, Hey, I'm not afraid anymore. I said I'm not afraid anymore. I don't expect that to happen by the end of this sermon. But I do think there are are ways forward in dealing with our fears and our anxieties. I think what we'll learn from these verses is that the Lord offers the only real protection from all that threatens us. Now that's a, that's a mouthful, and it's important that we understand what that means. So let's see how that works out. The book of Psalms is poetry, and so we read it a little bit differently than we would one of Paul's letters. The flow of thought in the Psalms is not so much linear as much as it is uh, or or sequential. It's more that poetry uses structure and repetition to highlight its main points. And so notice the structure of these verses. Look at verses 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3 talk about who God is and what he does. Verse 4 turns and talks about our response in light of that. Verses 5 and 6 repeat that pattern. Who God is, what he does, followed by our response. And all of this revolves around this central idea that the Lord is the only real protection from all that threatens us. So let's look at these things in in order here. Point number one, how he protects. It says right there in the beginning, the Lord is my light. Fear wonders and dwells on what could be lurking in the unknown darkness. Fear fills in the darkness with non-truth or non-reality. We don't know it's there, but I'm going to imagine what is there and, and react and respond to that. I see this popping up in my own phobia of birds. Yes, I'm afraid of birds. And um, it may be because uh, of the, the hundreds of times that I've been attacked by birds... I would say I was attacked, but maybe those watching, for whatever reason, disagree. But maybe the times I was attacked, it may be, uh, I don't know. It may have something to do with the fact that when I was five years old, I watched birds in 3D. And um, that's kind of when all this started. So maybe that has something to do with it. Um, We have these huge trees in our front yard. Now, when I say huge trees in Midland, I'm not talking about the... uh, the biggest tree that you, Pastor Peter talked about in Sunday school. We, is a couple of oak trees. In Midland, a big tree is about this tall. That's what we call a tree. But in my yard, I mean, they're good 30 feet tall, and pretty big trees. Well, since they're like the only trees in all of West Texas, I guess all the birds decide to come and roost in my trees. And it's just a mess because, you know, a, birds are incontinent. And so they're up there and they're making all their noises and and bodily functions and it's just disgusting. I hate it. And so when I walk outside, I'll walk outside with my son and we'll walk outside and just be standing there and I, I don't know, I guess they, sometimes they have a delayed reaction and all of a sudden all the birds will... And they're all flying off, and man, I jump. I almost dropped the baby. I'm running and dodging and thinking, they're in my hair and get them out of here. And I'm, I have this reaction to birds that is, is kind of strange. I start to do weird things, and I, and I tell myself, Did you see that? They attacked me. They just attacked me. That bird was swooping at my head. Danette's going, That bird was nowhere near your head. <laughs> We could, it's easy to fill in the darkness with the worst possible things. To, to imagine and envision what, what is happening to sort of rewrite reality. You know, the birds are always attacking me. They're not attacking me. Well, I kind of think they are. But I'm supposed to say they're not attacking me. Well, they probably aren't. But this, this, this can happen. We, we fill in the darkness with alternate realities. But this psalm says, the Lord is my light. See, so in that darkness, the Lord brings the light of God's truth and reality into the unknowns that are all around us. There is darkness. That's true. There is a lot of things that we don't know. But if the Lord is our light, then he can show us true realities. He can dispel all our fears So in the midst of darkness, we can come to what is real and true and what can be known. He is your light. The next thing it says is, he's my salvation. See, fear tells us we need to be rescued from danger. It may cause us to run. You know, maybe silence or just escape. But what are we running to? What are we seeking to be rescued by? It's an important question. Here, the Lord is the one who rescues us. In fact... The Lord is the one who rescues us from ultimate danger, which is eternal separation from him. He is our salvation. An antidote for David's fear is the reality that God has rescued him from his worst fears and the greatest danger he ever faced. So I just want to ask all of you, have you been rescued from the greatest danger you could ever face? I mean, what good will relief from fears in this lifetime be If we are met with our worst nightmare for all eternity. Eternal separation from God. (laughs) You could do all of the things to fix your fear now. And if that's your end plight, what good is it doing? So there's a much bigger issue that we must face as human beings. That we are accountable to God. That God is our creator. And that he calls us to turn from our sin and to repent and trust in him. Because if we don't, then then our ultimate fears will be realized. In fact, the the fears that we experience in this life are but glimpses of the far worse eternal fear that awaits every human being who does not trust in Christ. So, what are you waiting for? Trust in Christ if you haven't done that today. And he he will take care of your greatest problem, which is... God's wrath and eternal separation from him. Christ is the only one who can shelter you in his righteousness. Make you acceptable before God. Bring you into his family. The Lord is my salvation, David says. And so we don't want to be people who are just patching holes on the Titanic. If Christ isn't your salvation, then that's all any attempt to address fear will be. And so turn to Christ. The third thing it says is that the Lord is my stronghold. Verse 5 talks about He hides me in His shelter, He conceals me in His tent, He lifts me high upon a rock. All of this is the picture of protection. It's this picture of an isolated, closed off place, a refuge. Picture a bomb shelter or a safe room, that, it's that sort of thing. In West Texas, lots of people build safe rooms. Um, the Lord himself is that refuge. So think about this, what exists outside of the refuge? Well, it's, it's all of the unknowns. And a lot of times what we like to do is wander outside of the place of refuge and Meander around in the realm of the unknown and stay there, and it's no wonder we're afraid. But His refuge is a place that brings you back to what is true and right about God and His supply of grace. There's grace in the refuge. God's grace will not be found wandering around outside in the land of what ifs and the land of unknowns looking for His grace out there. There's a refuge of God's sovereign care that that is over our life. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. When you're deriving your security from the Lord, you no longer need, in a craving, idolatrous sense, security from a better income, better friends, a better job, better kids. I mean, anytime we look to created things for what only the Creator can give we leave the safe stronghold and wander outside of his protection, looking for some other safety. And of course, we never find it. It's a fool's errand. It's Imagine a fortress with great big high walls, and we can't see what's on the other side. And within this fortress is safety, and what's on the outside is unknown. Well, what fear likes to do is fear likes to find a ladder and put it up to the wall and climb up, And look over on the outside because it's not content with the safety and protection that God provides on the inside. So we look over the wall into all that is unknown, all of the what ifs, and we can stay there. Sometimes we climb over the wall and jump out and uh, go pitch a tent and camp and just kind of live in the land of what ifs. But the word is saying that the Lord is our stronghold. He is the refuge, the shelter, the tent, the rock. Apart from that protection, I am exposed and vulnerable to an infinite number of unknown possibilities. But within those walls, you will find grace and security and protection because his refuge is a place of sovereign care. So when your mind drifts into all of these what-ifs, into the land of what-ifs, Take your mind back to the refuge of his sovereign care with truths like he is my light and my salvation. He protects me and keeps me. He is a loving father. And while there are a lot of unknowns out there that are worrying me, there are some rock solid things that are known and can be anchors for my soul. And I need to come back to those again and again. We'll see more how to do that in verse four. Point number two, what he protects from. Just by implication of his being light and salvation and stronghold, um, we've already seen the kind of protection he provides. But verses 2, 3, and 6 really focus in even more on our deep fears and our worries. It mentions evildoers and adversaries, foes, enemies, armies, war, these sorts of things. The picture is anything that threatens to do us harm. In fact, all fears have to do with harm versus protection. Just think about uh, anxiety for a moment. Anxiety is an obsession, obsessive concern that either some harm could come about or that some protection might not be there. So you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind runs through every possible outcome as you try to prepare yourself for the firestorm you're going to face the next day. And right before you fall asleep, you're thinking of all of these possible outcomes. And most of these are not favorable. And fear just takes you deeper and deeper into this dark forest. Now you can't fall asleep. You spend the rest of the night thinking about what you want on your tombstone because you're sure that tomorrow is the end of my life. We can go apocalyptic on these things really fast. What's happening there? Some harm could happen, right? But and protection and security, I mean, might not be there. And, and so in those moments, what's happening, those realities are gripping us and taking us captive. The dangers can be real or perceived. Fear can be rational or irrational. Either way, it's amazing that David says that in the midst of such grave danger, real or perceived, his heart will not fear, and he will be confident. We do need to be protected from the real dangers that are out there, um, now, to say that the Lord protects us is not to say that he'll never let any bad things happen to us. I um, was in Sunday school this morning and Pastor Pierre was talking about the heresy that was going on in the Colossian church that said that you can have success and exemption from all suffering and all bad things now. And that that is not what the Bible teaches. And uh, I love Sunday school. I share his passion for Sunday school. I haven't... I haven't um, Graduated to the level of Sunday school Nazi yet, but I'm kind of I'm right below that. <laughs> uh, <You'll get> there. <laughs> thank you. That's encouraging. That's right. That's right. I love love Sunday school. We do it at our church. We always have, and um, it's I share that passion. And and it was good. It was it was an important point. I mean, that's what I'm saying here is that there's no guarantee that. God is gonna protect you from all bad things. No. When will we have that? When our faith is made sight? When the Lord comes, when we see Him face to face, then then all of that will be peeled away, but, but for now, what is God saying? He holds our life in His hands. And so picture this the life that He holds in His hands may include tragedy and pain. But as one missionary said, I'm immortal till my work's done. That's a good perspective of it. And so he protects us in that sense. He holds our life in his hands. More often, what threatens to harm us most of the time is not something out there, but the fear that takes over on the inside and seeks to destroy us. It's really our minds that need to be protected from dwelling on and obsessing over potential dangers like, fear of car wrecks. I was in a, I was in a car wreck, uh, May 20th, 1998. It was the day of my high school graduation. Go, Brother Martin. And, uh, and I was working like crazy, and uh, came home and fell asleep at the wheel, and hit a pole head-on in Bucktown, USA. And, um, and it was very fearful. And ever since then, I, I'm, I'm afraid of getting in car wrecks. I'm af- afraid to drive. Now, sometimes you can rationalize the actual danger and say, like, well, what are the chances that that will actually happen? You know, like, sometimes this happens when people are afraid of flying. Do you realize the statistics of getting in a plane wreck or actually... Well, if you're the person struggling with fear, statistics don't help. (laughs) I'm not helped when you tell me statistics. Why? Because there's some nagging voice in my mind that's saying, well, that may be true, but you never know. You might be the one exception. And so our mind tells us that. More often than not, where we need the most protection is not from the danger itself, but from the gripping fear that thinking about that danger produces. That's where we need the most protection. And that's where scripture lands on our situation and helps us. For most of us, our adversaries, foes, and enemies are our own thoughts. But our hearts don't have to fear, verse 3. We can be confident in the midst of fears. Also verse 3. Our heads can be lifted up. Verse 6. Because that's how he protects us. Point number 3. What's our response? The response to all fears. According to this text, what can we do to experience the peace that God intends us to have? What should our response be when we're bombarded with worry and fear? David gives us a single passion and pursuit. I love that he says, One thing I will seek after, and then he lists three things. (laughs) Because it's one single passion to dwell and gaze and inquire. This verse is usually used to inspire passion for God, single-hearted devotion to God and His people, and and sure, that's all there. I'm good with that. But I hope that you see that the context for this passage is particularly when we're experiencing our darkest fears and most debilitating anxieties. What does it mean to really fight fear and worry with truth from God's Word? Let's look at the three things. First, dwell. He says in verse 4 that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Um, now, this, this is not talking about um, moving your bed into this auditorium. Um, I'm sure the staff and pastors would not be happy if we all did that. And say, hey, I'm, I'm dwelling in the house of the Lord. That's not what he's talking about. David's given us a picture here of the comfort and security of the Lord. He's not saying he he wants to literally dwell in the physical tabernacle. that The idea that's pictured in this phrase, house of the Lord, is, is living in, in God's presence. Coram Deo, but living before the face of God. Um, our son Benjamin is at an age when separation from mom and dad can lead to some anxiety and fear. And this is normal, but it's such a picture of what the presence of, of a loving father and mother can be to a frightened child. And uh, it's so cool to be able to experience that firsthand. Do you realize that the Lord can be that presence in the midst of our fears? I referenced uh, 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 one quote from a missionary. Another one is John Patton, who experienced this presence of God up in a tree when cannibals were trying to eat him. I'm sure you've heard that story. They were trying to kill him and eat him and God's presence was with them in the midst of life-threatening fears. He was able to, in a sense, dwell in the presence of the Lord in the midst of danger. Notice, it doesn't mean that danger goes away. It means that God is with you in the danger. He's with you in your fears. Think about how this psalm shows us Jesus as well. Jesus faced enemies and evildoers and those who wanted to take his life and did. He knows what it is to face danger and threat. But he stared death and Satan in the face and conquered them so that he can say in John 14, 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. And Jesus can issue those words because he would go on to defeat death and Satan in its entirety this reality really can comfort us and it can loosen the grip of fear on our minds dwell in the presence of the lord second gaze i think gaze just refers to the worth of the lord it's not only his promised presence that invites us into the refuge we see that in the in the word dwell but it's his supreme worth It's interesting that he says gaze because in fear, our gaze can be on all kinds of other things, right? David talks instead about gazing on the Lord. And it's not just the Lord, but his beauty. In poetic language, the beauty of the Lord is a way to express his supreme worth and value. And this too is an antidote to our fears, to see Christ this way. Ed Welch says this, Beauty is just what worry needs. Worry's magnetic attraction can only be broken by a stronger attraction. And David is saying we can only find that attraction in God himself. If we're to be captivated by the beauty of God once again, we have to think of a long-term study. Anything truly beautiful is more attractive the better you know it. There's no doubt that a search for God's beauty will unveil even more of his beauty. So to gaze on the beauty of the Lord is to pray, Lord, help me see your supreme worth as infinitely greater than whatever else I'm tempted to escape into when I'm afraid. You, in other words, you, Lord, are more excellent than more hours at work, or endless hours in front of TV, or scanning social networks, or making more money, or getting a better body, or whatever else that you're afraid of. You are infinitely worth more than that. I need to see that again with the eyes of my heart. Scripture helps us see that. So, Scripture and the preaching of God's Word are ways that the beauty of God gets set before us, and our perspective is adjusted on life. We the, the light of god shines on the darkness of our hearts and and we are helped and god is glorified there's other things that we can run to when we're afraid but this is the one that we want to run to and not not alcohol or drinking until fear goes away or getting more and better firearms or food, or vacation. David doesn't turn to any of these things to assuage his fears. Rather, he, he turns to God and says, let me see him again. I, I, one thing I, I, I long for, I pursue, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Seeing his supreme worth and being captured by that above all else. It's another thing that will loosen the grip of fear on our own hearts. Thirdly, he says, inquire. And I think this refers to the direction of the Lord. He doesn't just come back to God's presence and worth. Certainly that's there. But the third thing he lists is his singular pursuit of the Lord's direction. When we're battling fear or anxiety, you know, it's just very easy to feel like you've lost your way. You can't get your bearings. In Texas, uh, the, the pride of Texas when it comes to water parks is Schlitterbahn. Um, I, don't, I don't like Schlitterbahn a whole lot. Um, I go on those rides and it's just like, ugh, wake me up when this ride is over. This is so slow and so boring, but everybody loves it. My favorite water park filled with thrills and adventures is Blue Bayou. So uh, love Blue Bayou. And um, there's a ride there. There's a slide there. The, uh, I don't know what it's called, but that, that black snake, that huge thing. Uh, love going on that one. Now, you need to know about me. If, if I was to turn around once right now, I wouldn't be able to stand up straight. I get dizzy very easily. So you can imagine that, that slide is like a corkscrew. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. And uh, if I remember the first time I went on that, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming down. I mean, there's this this feeling of like G-force is being, you're, you're being pressed against the slide and you feel the force of it and then I'm getting dizzy and the world's spinning and then all of a sudden it shoots you out and you, I landed in the water and uh, water's in my nose and I'm just, just flailing about in the water and so I, I swim to get to the surface and I'm swimming and boom, I hit my head what in the world? Where's, where, I must, where's the surface of the water? And I'm, I'm trying to feel for the surface of the water, and all of a sudden, a guy pulls on my ankle, and, oh, I'm just completely turned around. Uh, I, I just totally lost my bearings on that ride. And uh, fear, in the same way, can take you on quite a ride. It can make you lose your bearings. It can make you not realize what's up and what's down, and where you're at. The good news is that God doesn't just offer his comforting presence and all-satisfying worth as the the medicine for your heart. He will also lead and guide us by his spirit so that we're not wandering directionless and purposeless in life. He 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 guides us by his spirit. He guides his people in their mission. To the lost and to the world. He guides his church in its ministry to one another. We can call on the Lord and he can answer us from the scriptures. Or in some particular way that it's in agreement with the scriptures. And uh, he does this. This is what, how the spirit works when we gather together as churches. This is what it means to dwell and gaze. And it, it means that in dwelling and gazing we're also listening. Listening for the Lord's leading and direction. Lord, what would you speak to me? Where are you leading me? Help me to hear your voice. I think a lot of times, we the tendency is to ask God for direction, this point C that I'm on, but we haven't done points one and two. We haven't sat and gazed upon him as, as really better than anything else. Maybe we don't really see him that way. But this is all part of the way the scriptures address our fears. We with the psalmist can make this dwelling and gazing and inquiring our personal pursuit in discipline. It can be our one thing, as, as he says. Um, Eric, you can bring the team. I'm gonna close with one more thing. Just to, to summarize all of this up, this is how Christians can overcome fear and anxiety. We look to him in faith. How do we look to him? Well, we, we look for him where he's revealed most clearly and most explicitly. So when we say, look to the Lord and gaze upon his beauty, I'm not in the first place thinking, go sit on top of a mountain and pray and meditate. That the lord may may meet you there in a personal way but god clearly and explicitly reveals himself in the pages of scripture so that's if you want to see the lord go to scripture let god show you his beauty because it's painted all throughout the 66 books of the bible so we we go there we gaze there we inquire there this book is his voice and his, it's faith and beauty. It's calling out to us. It's speaking to our fears and our worries. It invites us to say, like in verse 6, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. And I can't help note, but notice the response in verse 6 as well. It says, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Do you see that? See, this is a conscious choice that the fearful person must make. I will sing. Knowing that by choosing this, he is overcoming fear and weakening its influence. It's a, it's a biblical way to address this issue. I love how uh, was it Evan? I think when when you came up and just talked about we're we're not people here that just have it all together and that are super spiritual or we've we've got all of our morals right in line or something like that. And David, in the same way, is not writing this as a super spiritual giant, like he's got this whole thing figured out. I mean, after all, just look at, if if we were to look at verses 7 to 10, you'll see David's crying out to God with the rest of us. He's struggling to get a handle on his fears too, just like all of us. And so David relates to us in our struggle with this. But this is where it happens. These are the kinds of truths that we need. This, what we see in verses 1 to 6, is how the grip of fear can be weakened in our lives. We come to see God as our refuge and our protector. No matter what threatens us, he's with us, he's near. We'll be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Because the Lord is the only true protection from all that threatens us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you, you draw near to us in the midst of our struggles, that you don't, you don't look at us as we turn to other things, we, we ignore you, we fail to gaze upon your beauty and, and cast us off. And say, yeah, when you get that right, why don't you come see me? Thank you that you're not the kind of God that says that. That you invite us into your presence. That we, we bring our struggles before you. Oh, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to apply what you have to say about anxiety, fear, worry, these things. Help us to apply what you have to say about them from the pages of Scripture. To your glory, God. So that... So that your mission and the gospel can go forth in crystal clear ways to the world around us. That something is different here. That we, we have been connected and joined to a God who can actually speak into the deepest struggles of human experience. But We want to live out loud that way. And, and we just confess we're not there. We're just not. And so help us, Lord. I'm not. Help me. Help me to live that way. Do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Let's stand together. Thank you so much, Alan, for not only taking us into this passage and into David's experience, but into your life as well. Um, I'm an anxiety-prone person. I could have shared just as many... uh, illustrations and, and phobias as Alan did. I'm sure we could add ours as well. But I want to bring us to a close by considering something in particular that Alan shared in, in directing us toward what our response is, the response to all fears. I think it's interesting that David directs us toward worship in response to fear. I think that illustrates that fear is ultimately about worship. You know, what we allow to define and control our lives, that's what we worship. You know, a few weeks ago, Bob helped us to see that worship is more than just about what happens in in this meeting, Um, but it's certainly not, not less than that. So, as we I'm going to close in song in just a moment. But first I want us to just spend a few few moments uh, engaging with our fears, having a conversation. Where, Where have I given permission to define my joy? What am I allowing to control my peace? Let's be aware of that in our own hearts. And then let's take time to transfer our worship to God and to engage beauty, and to see him as our protection and as our satisfaction. So just take a few minutes to engage the Lord personally in your own heart, and then in a few moments, Eric's going to close us in song.